really love these messages here as we finish up Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 13. You see this a little bit in the book of Romans. You see this in a couple other New Testaments. I call these type of messages the Proverbs of the New Testament. Because what happens is we're kind of done with theology now. We're in the final thoughts here. And what happens is he does these little one-sentence verses that are just really deep. If you've ever studied out the book of Proverbs before, you know what I'm talking about. You can kind of read, and there's this, this one little proverb that jumps out at you. and That's exactly what I needed to hear. And it just speaks volumes. So what you have here are these little thoughts, but you put them all together, and it shows a really great picture. But we're going to start this here in Hebrews 13, and I hope you're as blessed by this as I am. I absolutely love this. So this is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament, little spiritual nuggets. First one that we see there, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. See, just a simple, straightforward point. Let brotherly love continue. Only four words, but there's so much in there. Now, if you're a note taker, I've got some verses I want to kind of share with you, and you can kind of write them down if you want. Remember, 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4, verse 8, very simply put, the Bible says what? God is love. That's how he chooses to describe himself. God is love. What did Jesus say in John 13, 25? They will know you are my disciples by your love. Same concept. Now, what do we do here today? Well, you know that I'm a follower of Christ because you can see my T-shirt, you can see my Bible, you can read my bumper sticker. Jesus says the ultimate example of showing somebody that you are a follower of Christ is you will show them love. Now, here's the problem with that. When you think of showing them love, when I think of showing them love, does that mean we just accept everything? No, because you've got to get the full context of God's word. Ephesians 4, 15 says that we speak the truth in love. I love people enough to tell them the truth. So I will love them because God is love. I will love them because I'm a disciple of Christ. That's how I represent it. But part of that love is speaking biblical truth to them. I have seen extremes in churches before. I've seen the loving extreme where nothing is wrong and we just love you. We don't care and just be a part of us. Okay, they got love down, but they don't got truth. And I've seen the other extreme of truth. People will not bend nor break, but when they present that truth, they do not present it in love. You need both truth and love. So Jesus said, you will know my disciples by their love. God said, I am love. What a great start here. So now that we understand the importance of true love, what does it mean in verse 1? Let brotherly love continue. Some of your translations, keep on. Please note it does not say let brotherly love start. The writer of Hebrews is saying that this is something that you should be doing and it should continue on in your life. You don't have little seasons of love. You don't have moments of love. This is who you are. Remember in Galatians 5, through 23, the fruit of the Spirit, the first one mentioned is love. And that word for love is an agape love. They want this brotherly love to continue. This is a different word. What's it mean to be brotherly love? It's a love for the body. It's where you actually get your word Philadelphia, this city of brotherly love. This is a love that you have for the body of Christ. So we have to stop right here. Simple, such a simple point. And I've noticed sometimes in my walk, when the points are so simple, I don't really fully get it sometimes because I almost oversimplify it. Ask yourself, are you showing brotherly love? And is that continuing? Would that be an example of your walk? 
If somebody would come up and we'd ask them a quiz and say, okay, I want you to describe this person. And they came up and they asked about you. Would one of the first traits that people talk about you is, wow, they are a really loving person. Because God is love. His disciples are supposed to show love. And it's supposed to continue. Continue. So that's our first one. But this sets the foundation for the rest of the study. Do we understand the love part? Because we're supposed to have a love for the body. Now, the next thing we're supposed to do with this love is verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. What a fascinating little verse there. Now, that word entertain is kind of interesting. Some of your translations say, don't forget to have hospitality. Because if you look at it and do not forget to entertain strangers, does that mean you're supposed to sing and dance for them or something like that? No. It means you're supposed to show them hospitality. Now, hospitality from a biblical standpoint versus hospitality, what you think of, is probably quite different. When you think of hospitality, when I think of hospitality, normally it means that you will come over to my house, I will offer you something to drink, I will be very polite and nice to you, and I will make you a snack. And then we will sit and we will be hospitable to one another. When you're talking about biblical hospitality, you're saying this, what I have is yours. Take what you need. It's not mine. It's not my car, it's the Lord's car. It's not my house, it's the Lord's house. It's not my anything, it's the Lord's. So therefore, you need it, then take it. Because it's not mine. I'm just not going to hold on to it. We don't think about that type of hospitality. I remember one time reading in a devotional about the different layers of ministry. And they talked about the easiest layer of ministry is usually ministry at church. Because you see them for maybe at the most an hour. And almost anybody can fake it for about an hour. But then you start maybe doing discipleship with people, and so all of a sudden you don't just see them for an hour. Now you see them for a few hours a week. Oh, boy, now that that starts to get a little bit more difficult. Or maybe you're not going to minister to people at work, so your shift can be 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours. Now we're getting really difficult. But the ultimate form of ministry is 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You know, I can remember uh, a couple years ago when Dawn and I first started doing the training for foster kids. You know, we really prayed and we said, Lord, we want to live life in front of people. We really want to live it in front of people. And then we got a couple foster kids. And then I said, Lord, I don't want to live it 24 hours a day. Can't there be a little bit of a break here? You know, it is really difficult 24 hours a day, seven days a week to say, Okay, Lord, I would really want to represent you, so I'm not going to snap at my wife. I'm not going to snap at the kids. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Because when all of a sudden when somebody's there, you have to stop and say, if I'm really living it, I'm living it. And so hospitality, it's a whole nother level of saying, I'm going to open my life up in front of you. Remember what we talked about a couple Sundays ago where uh, Jesus said in Matthew 28 to go make disciples. To open up your life to them. To live it in front of them so they see how you handle your children. They see how you handle your spouse. They see how you handle difficult times. They see what you watch on television. They see how you do devotions. And it's like, wow. That's a whole nother level. But this is what the Lord is saying. Can you have that hospitality? Can you really go out and live it? And why? Because verse 2, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know who you're talking to. Have you ever had strange conversations with people where you kind of walk away from that and say, that was absolutely so weird. And you kind of stop. And every time I have one of those conversations, I think back to Hebrews 13, 2. 
And it's like, Lord, is this what you're talking about? Because that was a weird one. That was a weird one. Because you don't know who they really are. Now, I've also had weird conversations with people that if they're really an angel, then they're like the worst angel I've ever seen. They're really awful at it. But sometimes you have these little random run-ins with people, and it's this little brief interaction of where you really get to represent Jesus to them, maybe help them and bless them. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, Lord, I don't know what I did, but I represented Christ here. I mentioned to you Sunday. I was you know, going to a hospital visit last uh, Monday, driving through downtown Toledo. A guy stopped and, you know, we'll work for food, homeless. You know, you give him the gift card to Burger King. I give this to you in the name of Jesus. I don't know who he is. I don't know what he did with it. But you know what, Lord? I want to represent you to whoever I run into at any time. So we see the first one, love for the body of Christ. Verse 2, love for the strangers. You're not going to get out of this, folks. You're going to have to love everybody. So love for the body. Verse 2, love for strangers. Okay, anybody got any quick questions, comments about any of these concepts of the first two points of love? Megan. Yes. Uh, you do a couple things. I got three things that come to mind. First off, you have to remember there is a gift of discernment. So there is a time where you immediately do one of those half-second prayers to say, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Because I don't want to misrepresent you. So there's that immediate gift of discernment. I think in the book of Titus, it says at the end of the book of Titus, it says, meet urgent needs. Urgent needs. I have gotten many phone calls over the years from people whose world was falling apart and the need was not urgent. We have to stop and we have to do a little bit of triage, if you will. You have to stop and say, what's really important at this moment? So discernment, meet urgent needs, and lastly, go back to the example of Jesus. Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus fed the 4,000, and what did he do after that? He fed nobody. So therefore, what do you see? That there's a time to help, there's a time to give food, there's a time to be a blessing, there's no doubt about that. But there's also a time where the Lord says, it's not the time to do that. So you have to have discernment, you have to meet urgent needs, and also look at the example of Jesus. You definitely help when the Lord leads, but there's also other times where the Lord's not leading. So you put all those three together, and I think you can kind of say, okay, Lord, each situation is unique. I use the example, when Dawn and I used to go down to Atlanta, and we'd uh, watch the Braves play, as you'd leave the stadium, there's a lineup of just homeless people. I mean, it's just, just a lineup. you got 50,000 people coming out of Turner Field. It's a great place to sit. So what happens is everybody's got a sign, and I'm not picking. I don't know the story. You know, um, you know, have five kids at home, don't have a job, you know, lost this, need a job. There was one guy that had a sign that just said, I'm not going to lie, I want to get drunk. No discernment needed there. <laughs> you know, that was pretty straightforward. I don't know what the other people are going to do with the money, but I do know this, that if I say I give this to you in the name of Jesus, Matthew tells me that a cup of cold water are given in the name of Christ. That's what I want to do. Now, if you have a relationship with some of these people and you find out that this is now going on days, weeks, months, years, and you're not starting to see the fruit that should be seen, sometimes you have to step back and discernment and say, you know what, I've helped many times before. The most loving thing I can do is to do nothing. Go back and read the story of the prodigal son. The most loving thing the father could have done for the prodigal was to not chase after him. And he didn't. The father waited till the son came back. I do believe that sometimes I have failed as a pastor because I've been so quick to pull people out of the pit. Sometimes the most loving thing I can do is let them be in the miry clay for a little bit. 
because it lets them stop and realize what's really important. And so sometimes the most loving thing you can do is nothing. You've got to let the Lord lead. Some people got to learn the hard way. The most loving thing is to let them learn the hard way sometimes. Anybody else got anything here before we move on? Okay, so love for the body. We got love for uh, strangers. Verse 3, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Remember the prisoners. Now, the context of this in verse 3 seems to be talking about maybe prisoners here in the church that have been arrested for their faith. I think you could also make a context by looking at the other scripture passages too. Remember those that are in prison. We have a list of people out here that have uh, gone to prison for various reasons over the years. Some of them are in. Some of them are going to be in for the rest of their lives that we have had a relationship with. What do we do? You write them. Try to write them on a regular basis. And try to say, I'm praying for you. Give them scripture. I go a lot back to Joseph. I always encourage him, read the, read the story of Joseph. And you know, when you talk to people that have been in prison, I was talking to one guy who was in prison for about 15 years, and he talks about how much of a blessing it is just to receive those notes of encouragement. So what can you do? You can write them. Okay, you want to do more? You can go visit. If you've never done a prison visit before, it's quite fascinating. You see a whole other side, and it's a really way to represent the Lord. Quite the way to represent the Lord. And you know what? At the moment... It doesn't seem like you're maybe doing anything. But then years later, i got to share this testimony with you real quick. I don't think I've ever shared this with you before. I, was, I did, went and did a prison visit for a guy that used to come out here, got himself in trouble, and I went in. And most of the time when you go in for a prison visit, if you say you're a pastor, they'll let you go at any time and kind of do it. It's part of the ministry. So I went and said, I'm here to go visit this guy. And they um, took a long time. Never does. Never takes that long. Finally, the warden came out. And said, do you here to visit this person? And I said, yeah. And they said, why? And I said, well, he used to come out to church and stuff. He got himself in trouble. And I heard about it and wanted to come over. And the warden said, well, we really talked about it. And we kind of thought maybe we shouldn't. But we're going to let you kind of go and visit them. We want to let you know that he has not been good. If you've ever been to prison before, you know there's different. <laughs> not that you guys have ever been to prison before. But you may have understood how the system has worked. There's different colors that you wear. Depending on your behavior. But this one, red was bad. You do not want to wear red. He was in red. And I've never seen this before. He came out, leg shackled, arm shackled, guard on each side with a spit shield. Because that's what he was doing. You can fill in the blanks of a lot of other things that he was doing. So I had the warden, two guards, shackled both, spit shield. And this is how we're going to talk. So we all sit right there. And I thought, okay, Lord, is this what Paul went through? This idea of you're chained by the guards. They get to hear the truth. They get to hear the gospel. So I talked, and I have never seen anything like this before. The eyes were crazy. You know, you talk about seeing somebody you think was demon-possessed. It was one of those words just like, that was crazy. Absolutely crazy. So, talked, ministered. I don't know anything that comes out of this. The guy gets out. Guy gets out. And next thing you know, guess what? He's coming out here now. He's serving. And if you ask him about it, he doesn't remember any of it. He just doesn't even remember it. He remembers me visiting, but he doesn't remember what the mental state was. He doesn't remember any of it. And, but he remembers that time that you came. And he goes, you were the only one that come to visit. And you stop and you say, okay, Lord, verse 3, remember the prisoners as if chained 
with them. Chained with them. Write them. Visit if the Lord leads. And if you want to do more, I know of two good prison ministries that you can even get involved with. You know, we just sent a group uh, last year up to Toledo Correctional. And I think we're trying to send another group up to Toledo Correctional here, I think, in the next couple months. That you can go and get a chance to talk to them. I know I one time I went up to Toledo Correctional for a ministry. And, and here you are. And you're surrounded to get a chance to talk to them. And... Um, these guys just want love. I mean, they just, and you get an opportunity to really talk to them and really look them in the eye and say, listen, I'm going I'm to pray for you, man. I'm going to pray for you. It's a chance. Verse 3 there. So we have love to the brothers, verse 1. You have love to the strangers, verse 2. You got love to the prisoners, verse 3. Now let me tell you about the hardest one to have love for. Verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Man, I know people that will love a stranger, love the body of Christ, love the prisoners, but if you bring up their spouse, oh my, everything changes. Never seen such hatred towards people united together as one in the Lord. Love and marriage. Now, marriage, think about this. Ephesians chapter 5 makes it clear. One of the examples that God gave us to represent the gospel is marriage. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So therefore, a Christian marriage is supposed to be a picture of the love that Jesus has for us. So if I see a husband yelling, screaming, whatever at his wife, that's not what Jesus does to the church. And you wonder why the world looks at Christian marriages, supposedly, and say, you're not much different than us. We have really lost what marriage is supposed to be. It's part of our witness and how we act and react. I tell you right now, the person I love doing ministry more than with anybody else is Dawn. Love doing ministry. The person that annoys me the most doing ministry is Dawn. I don't fight and argue with Rich. Dawn and I were moving some mattresses around recently. And, you know, and Dawn and I were trying to figure it out and stuff like that. And we were just not on the same page. I stopped and I said, Dawn, do you realize over the decades I've been out church how many hundreds of mattresses I have moved? I have never argued with one person on our doing a mattress except for you. So I said, you know who the problem is? It's not me. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> Marriage. Marriage. Marriage is honorable. Honorable. God's plan for marriage, one man, one woman, Genesis chapter 2, confirmed by Jesus. That's the honorable God's plan for marriage. And what does he say he wants also to be honorable in marriage? The marriage bed. The marriage bed is supposed to be undefiled. Some of your translations said the marriage bed is supposed to be pure. Intimacy, save for marriage. One of the best examples I've ever heard is the example of fire. Fire in a fireplace, very good. Fire in the middle of your living room floor, very bad. It's the same type of fire. It's just where the location of where the fire is at. Intimacy in the bounds of marriage, very good. Intimacy outside the bounds of marriage, very bad. Two different types of things that it talks about here. Fornication and adulterers. Now, it's been oversimplified that fornication is any type of intimacy outside of marriage and adultery is any type of intimacy 
um, while being married with somebody else. That, that's a very generic description. Adultery is obviously that intimacy outside of marriage when you're married to somebody. I like to use the word intimacy because sometimes people say, well, it's anything about sex outside of marriage. It's like, well, you know what? There's a lot of other things that can be going on other than that. So we're going to just use the word intimacy. Anything like that? God says, no, that's not what we want. What about fornication? This word fornication is very interesting. Some of your translations say sexually immoral. Good old King James has whoremonger. You don't use that one a lot. You don't see that on many Christian shirts. That word, though, for fornication is where we get our English word for pornography. That's what it is. It's an all-encompassing term of watching stuff, seeing stuff, saying stuff, doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing. So therefore, before the bounds of marriage, you don't want anything with anybody else. But you also don't want to be watching anything like you shouldn't be watching. And it's any type of sexual morality. And I've heard people say, well, you know, I I admit it's not great, but I'm telling you there's a lot of other worse stuff out there. That's not the level that we're looking for. Any type of sexual moral stuff that we should not be letting our eyes see, that's that English word for pornography. And so God is saying, if you want your marriage to be honorable, pure, do it God's way. Genesis 2, one man, one woman, confirmed by Jesus, save intimacy for marriage, stay away from anything sexual and moral, that obviously that word for pornography, and stay away from any type of adultery there. That's God's plan for marriage. And that is what he has said, and that's what we live by. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about that? All right. Sometimes that pops up. Yes. You bring up a good point of the stuff that's on TV. How do you keep your kids from seeing that? Um, I can only tell you what, what we do. We don't watch a lot of just regular TV. We watch America's Test Kitchen, which, is, as far as I can tell, is very pure. I've never seen anything inappropriate on, uh, I mean, Dawn may have a crust on Chris Kimball, but that's another story for another day. Um, and we watch Real Fortune, which sometimes Vanna could choose to dress a little bit more appropriately. But... What we do is this. We, we have the TV remote right there. Now, the thing that we do watch a lot, I'll be honest with this, we like to watch football on, on Sunday afternoons. And so what we have done to train the children, and this is all I can tell you, is I tell the boys, okay, if you're watching the game on 36, if you're watching the game on 11, first off, you've got to watch it with me. I need to be in there. But you have the remote right beside you. So therefore, when something comes on that's inappropriate, you hit the Go Back channel. And you've picked a channel before. Maybe it's PBS Kids or something like that. So when something pops up. Now, that's what we do. So when something pops up inappropriate, a commercial, generally for commercials, we just change the channel anyway. We just go to something else we don't even have to worry about. But if, let's say, they have that long, lingering shot on some of the ladies there, you should see my boys, and maybe I've been too legalistic on that, they start screaming, Where's the remote? Where's the remote? Because we, we tried to train them, don't. Now, granted, my boys aren't that old. They're not really even into that type of stuff yet. But I'm telling you, we're trying from a young age to say, don't. I think of that verse in Psalms, and my mind is blanking which one it is. But it says, I will not let my eyes look on anything unwholesome. And it's like, you know what? There's really not a lot of options to choose from. I hope you don't think I'm being legalistic and I don't want you to walk out of this teaching tonight saying, well, I heard what James says. James says you don't watch anything. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you're careful. You take steps to make sure. You know, before we watch any movie, we get online. We've got two websites we go to. You look it up. How much language is in it? How much sex and nudity in it? How much is this? Okay, I don't need to see that junk. I don't. 
Does the flesh get tempted by that? You bet it does. So why would I want to put anything in front of my eyes that's going to cause any type of situation? So those are just some of the steps that we kind of do there. I don't know if that helps or not. So anybody else? Yeah, Ryan. Right. You know, the Bible uses this wonderful term called a remnant, that there always is a remnant, a remnant that wants truth, that wants to do it, wants to live by it, and what a blessing that is. Now, sometimes the remnant is very small. Book of, you know, you think back to the book of Genesis with Noah. The remnant was eight. But there always is a group that says we're going to take a stand. You know, and you think back to when we think we've reached this point of um, no one else gets it. I think back to Elijah where he says, oh, Lord, take my life. It's not worth it. And he goes, I'm the only one left. And then God says to Elijah, I still got 6,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. There's always other people that want to take a stand. And we've got to remember that. There's always a remnant. Kathy. sometimes amazes you know what we draw the line in the sand on and and, you know and i think back to romans 3 there's no one who does good no not one there's no one who seeks after god no not one and and, you know and i've even looked at my own life where sometimes i'll draw these lines in the sand it's like boys we're not going to watch that okay but we'll watch this well what what makes that okay well because it's more acceptable because i kind of entertains me more than the other one and sometimes what we do is, I mean, I heard somebody recently, and it's been a while since someone said this to me, but basically, you know, the church is full of hypocrites. And I always say, yeah, it is. It is. We're all sinners saved by grace. And we all have a hypocritical side to us. So it does amaze me sometimes what we get ourselves worked up about. And, and that's a whole other story for another day, that sometimes as Christians, we are up in arms over sin this. But this, this sin's not as bad. The example I always use is gossip. I've never seen a church get mad at gossip, but that's a sin. Or what about Philippians 2.14? Do all things without complaining. How about the next time when your brothers and sisters in Christ come to you and complain about something, you look them in the eye and say, you are going straight to hell. Do you realize that? You complainer. No, we don't do that. We don't get worked up over certain sins, but there are certain ones that are just... Now, I understand certain sins have more of a moral influence, and it goes back to the classic example of depending how big a stone you throw in the pond depends on how many ripples go out and how big the ripples are. I get that. But there also is an understanding of there's a lot of things that we look here at the body of Christ and we kind of let it go. Complaining, gossiping, whatever. Sometimes we let these things go. So, yeah, Marv. Yeah, that's a good point. Don't judge me just because I sin differently than you do. What an interesting thing. You know, it reminds me of David. Remember when Nathan the prophet came in? And David's all up in arms because in the story, the one guy stole the other guy's sheep. And that's when Nathan says, but you are the man. You took the wife. You killed the man. But yet that sin was almost acceptable in some ways. It's, it's amazing. All right, anybody else got anything here?
All right, I want to do at least two more verses here, and then we'll finish this up. So we got love towards the brothers, verse 1. Love towards the strangers, verse 2. We have love towards those maybe less fortunate prisoners. Uh, love in marriage, verse 4. And then verses 5 and 6 go together. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Keep your hand here. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, please. Coveting. Coveting money. Some of your translations come right out and say about money in those passages there. But you can covet anything. Covet another man's spouse. Covet another person's marriage. House, you can fill in the blank there. Paul, in writing the book of Romans, I believe, said that covetousness was the sin that really got his attention. That was the sin that he made him really stop and realize, I am a sinner. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Oh, boy. That Once again, that's almost too straightforward. Verse 6. 1 Timothy 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Now, you know that. I know you know that. You don't take your possessions with you. But if we know that, why do we live like we almost can? Verse 8, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Content. I, I say to my kids a lot, do you have clothes on your back? Yeah. Do you have a roof over your head? Yeah. Do you have food in your belly? Yeah. Okay, well then that's good enough. That's really what it's saying. That's a contentment right there. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Boy, as everything's covered in verse 9, if we had more time, it would be great to break this down. But you see temptations. You see snares. You see foolish lusts. You see the person that works 12 hours a day, 7 days a week. Why? So they could just pay off all the toys that they've bought. Foolish lusts. Verse 10, 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Please note, money in and of itself is not wrong. It's the love of money. I remember a couple years ago getting a chance to visit uh, someone out, that came out here to church. who um, Money was not an issue for them, I guess I will say. Uh, never an issue for them. And they were some of the most down-to-earth, caring, giving people I've ever met. Jump ahead, if you will, let me real quick to verse 17, same chapter. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. You're in a position in life where money is not an issue. You're very blessed in that area. Then amen. Verse 18. Do good with it. Rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. The flip side, back now to Hebrews 13 as we've got to close up here. That lack of contentment. Because what happens is he's saying in verse 5 and 6, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Basically, if you have Jesus, what else do you need? There is nothing on this earth that's going to fulfill that hole that Christ can't. You know, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts. I heard a teaching one time where the pastor says that you have a hole, eternal hole, that only can be filled by the eternal love of Christ. And you know people, I know people that try to fill that with other things. 
And it's not even items. Sometimes it's the pride, prestige of a job, of a house, of what have you. Go read Ecclesiastes, the man who literally had everything. And he still sums it up by saying it's all about God. So this idea of covetousness, just be careful. I think this is one of those sins that can sneak in. It's easy to see when you're not loving. It's easy to see when you're not hospitable. It's easy to see when you're not doing a good job in your marriage. But sometimes this covetousness, it just comes across in little ways. Bitterness towards somebody that you don't even know real well because of just what they have and you don't. That they get more vacation than you. They get paid a little bit more. They got a little bit nicer this. Maybe I never see them fight and argue like we fight and argue. So your covetous of their marriage. It's, just, it's easy to let this stuff get the best of you. Verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you, Jesus said. That's the focus right there. You have Jesus. What else do you need? So, hey, time to get ready here to close up. We'll uh, finish up. Hebrews 13, not next week. Don't forget, Pastor George is coming out. I hope you can come out, hear his testimony, and just really hear about sharing and ministering to the Muslims there. But we'll pick up Hebrews 13 here in two weeks then and hopefully get a chance to finish it up. Anybody have any final questions, comments about anything here before we close up with a word of prayer? All righty. Hey, be safe out there as you travel home. Obviously, very, very windy, a lot of things going on. Um, keep these different ministries in prayer. And once again, if you're interested in baptism, let us know. Um, next week, we'll get some more information about going up to the mosques, if that interests you. 25th, we have the opportunity to get trained in sharing the gospel with kids. Lots of different opportunities to get involved. We just want you to prayerfully consider those things. And also, don't forget missions trip to Mexico. Hey, would you guys stand with me as we close in prayer? Lord, just good to be here tonight. And um, I just want to say thank you for those that you brought out and just keep them safe as they travel home. For those that couldn't make it tonight due to the weather, just uh, hope they had a blessed evening. But Lord, right here, right now, we want to live it. We want to live it brotherly love. We want to live it. We want to be pure in thought, action, and deed. We want to represent you to everybody, Lord. And we truly want to live the life. Thank you, Lord, for your love, grace, and mercy in your name. Amen. Hey, I'll be up here to pray if anybody wants to pray. You guys have a good, safe trip home.